0: Right. Well, we have been in a series on loving like Jesus, loving like Him. We've looked at um, the importance of being aware, of being mindful of what's going on, what God is doing in people's lives. And we talked about um, being approachable as people, the way Jesus was approachable. People weren't put off by Him. Um, The only people who were were religious people, but everybody else was drawn. And then talked about being graceful. That we got to have grace that generates love. Those who've been forgiven a lot, they love a lot. Okay. Um, Today I want to talk about something else. And start. There's a story of a a king once upon a time who uh, was very narcissistic, and uh, he surrounded himself with people who agreed with everything that he said. Well, a couple of guys came to town, strangers, and they said, "Hey, this is a great opportunity for us to." do a scam and they thought we'll scam these people so they pretended to be these world's greatest tailors who made the most beautiful clothes and they approached the king and they said king we will make you the most beautiful clothes you've ever worn if you'll pay us you know a great sum of money and the king agreed to it because he was so vain and narcissistic so they began their their trade and they were mimicking you know tailors with their hands making clothes but they weren't really making anything there was just invisible And the day came when the clothes they said were ready, and they put them on the king. And the king was going to parade through the town, these beautiful clothes made by the world's greatest tailors. But the tailors also said to everybody that only people with pure hearts could see the clothes on the king. So nobody wanted to admit they didn't have pure hearts, so everybody pretended they could see these beautiful clothes on the king, including the king himself, who was a little doubtful, looking at himself standing in his underwear. So he began walking through the town, and everybody was, ooh, ah, oh, they're beautiful. Oh, king, you look better than you've ever looked in your life. What a radiant ruler you are. It went on like this, it went on like this, until finally a little boy in the back of the crowd shouted, the emperor has no clothes. And he was right. He was the only one that was right. And everybody all of a sudden realized the emperor had no clothes, and he was standing there in his underwear. Because nobody was willing to tell the truth at first. The king was humiliated. The townspeople reinforced their cowardice. And the two thieves ripped the government off of a lot of money. The only person who came out intact in the whole thing was a little boy who told the truth. You know, telling the truth is is very important for a number of reasons. Um, love tells the truth. You know, I've sometimes felt being in the church, people thought, well, you can't tell the truth because sometimes the truth hurts. And love always feels good. Love's like a nice, soft teddy bear. And if anything ever feels different than a nice, soft teddy bear, it can't be right, it can't be love, but that's not true. Because love wants what's best for people, and what's best for people is truth. And so the truth has to be spoken if there's really going to be true love in our lives. You know, Jesus told the truth. um, and, And... he could be direct. And depending on his audience, what he would say to people would be, uh, we would find it very offensive. But now think about it. There was nobody who loved more than Jesus. And yet he could say things that would just, would just crack through any, any armor or any sense of, wow, uh, softness. There's a chapter in Matthew that especially highlights this part of Jesus' life. Him telling the truth that in a way that just shook people up. And he was addressing the crowd that was causing lots of problems. And once you understand what they were doing to people, you can understand why Jesus was being so powerful and thunderous with his words. So here's what, let me read part of this. This is Matthew 23. And I'm going to start with verses 13 through 15. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. So that's really like the crux of the problem. These people were keeping people out of the kingdom. And so he's calling them hypocrites. He goes on to say in verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you succeed, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides. And then down to verse 17, the first part. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. Then down to verse 19, the first part. He says, you blind men. Which is greater, the gift of the altar that makes, or the, that makes the gift sacred? Um, going on to verse 24. You blind guides, you strain out a nap, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Then, verse 33, you snakes. Can you imagine calling somebody a snake? You snake, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So Jesus is like letting them have it. You know, there are times when the truth needs to come like thunder to wake people up from their slumber. Or to break through the hardness that, that covers our hearts. And Jesus was taking the hammer of the truth. I mean, the Bible actually says, your hammer, Lord, is like a, it's like a, your word is like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Sometimes it's like a double-edged sword that divides soul, bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It's like a fire, it says in Jeremiah. Sometimes, if you've ever uh, watched these video clips of, of criminals in court and judges respond to them, and there'll be a criminal... That's remorseless and that's sneering and smug and kind of mocking the victims of the person that they either harmed or killed. I don't know if you've ever seen these. And when this guy gets done with his little performance in the courtroom, the judge will just let him have it. I mean, the judge is so, you can just so angry. It's like what, you know, the judge won't do that to somebody who's repentant. Because he sees the heart, but sometimes the judge just says, You know, this is your, this is, you're not getting out. How dare you act like this in the courtroom, you know, that kind of thing. But sometimes we need to hear that hard truth. When I was a boy, I, I had a bad habit of making excuses whenever I lost a game. Didn't matter what kind of game it was Parcheesi, Monopoly, Yahtzee, football, basketball, something always caused me to lose. That wasn't my fault. The sun was in my eyes you cheated, you know, I, my stomach's upset. I mean, there's always a reason why I didn't win. And so I, I got into this habit of always giving alibis because I just had to win. It probably, you know, made me feel good about myself. I had to be better than everybody. That's kind of the thing. So one day we were on vacation. We were back uh, in, in Minnesota and um, I lost a game and I was about, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And my uncle let me have it. He said, Rick, Why do you always have to make alibis when you lose? You know, why don't you just you know you lost fair and square? Learn to live with it. And everybody in the family was there. So I was getting reamed publicly and it hurt. I was like, man, I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, I got called out. I mean, this nobody ever said that to me before. And I was just silent. I had no comeback from my uncle. I didn't say anything. And I just went away just kind of licking my wounds that day. But also thinking about what, what my uncle said. And he was absolutely right. I did make alibis. I did make excuses whenever I lost. And, and from then on, whenever I played games, I always thought about what my uncle said to me about doing that. And I slow, and it wasn't perfect, but that began to fade. I didn't make as many excuses as I used to because of that, the truth that came like a hammer that day. So why is it, you know, why is it that love requires truth, and we and we got to be bold with this, you know, telling the truth boldly? Well, number one is that it saves people from destruction. You know, this is for this is for people's good. It's not to hurt people; it's to help people. Paul uh, coached Timothy, his protege, a, a young pastor. He said. Timothy, watch your life. This is 1 Timothy four twenty one. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. So your teaching, watch them. Teach the truth. Persevere in them. He says because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. People's eternal well being depends on the truth of the gospel. We're dead in our sins. Jesus has come and paid the price for our sins. And when we put our faith in him, he rescues us and saves us. People's eternity depends on whether they're going to believe that or not. This truth is life and death. So if we really care about people, we're going to tell them that. So it's, it's to save people. It's not to hurt people. And then we also uh, love demands the truth because it protects the body of Christ. Um, you know, our bodies need to be communicating truthfully with each other. The brain needs to communicate with the rest of the body. And then I've, I've heard our stomachs actually communicate with our brains. It's like it goes back and forth. You've got to have those truth messages going. There, is a, there was a, an incident in the early church that I wish I could have been there for this one. Um, it it would have been fireworks. Fireworks. You got the two big boys, the two top dog apostles in the church who have a conflict, Peter and Paul. And there's a problem in the church. And if it does not get resolved, it's really going to create problems. And let me read this. This is Galatians 2, verse 11. Now, Cephas is the name for Peter, okay? So this is Paul talking, Galatians 2, verse 11. He says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. And having been called out by my uncle, that's painful to get it publicly. Peter, the the big apostle, is getting called out by Paul in front of everybody. Being condemned for what he was doing. For before certain men came from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Why? Because Peter's a leader. And because Peter's a leader, he can influence people the right way or the wrong way. And right now, because of his hypocrisy, he's drawing leadership away from the right way. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So here's Peter... Pulling the leadership of the church into false teaching and practice. When I saw what th- that they were not acting in line with the... truth, Here's one guy against all this leadership. And he's kind of a Johnny-come-lately, Paul. You know, he, didn- he wasn't an apostle before these guys. They were with Christ when Paul wasn't. When he says, I saw them not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all... You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So here's Paul. He's going, right now we have a crisis in the church. There's going to be a crack in the foundation if somebody doesn't step up and speak the truth. And if this isn't fixed, people are going to be drawn away from Christ and they're going to fall into this. It's Jesus plus Jewish customs like circumcision and eating kosher and Sabbath observance. If you don't do these things plus have Jesus, you're not saved. He's going to bind people up. He's going to undermine the gospel truth. And so that took courage for Paul to stand up and do that. But the the well-being of the church was at stake. He, he was protecting the body of Christ by doing that. I mean, that was a... You, know, you can read that, that. That was a gutsy move. If you've ever been, you know, where it's like one against ten. Who's speaking the truth? Who's going who's to speak out? Wow, that's, that's like tense time. But Paul laid it on the line. So we've got to keep the body together. Here's another reason that we need to speak the truth boldly. is to keep the body healthy. To keep the body healthy. Paul again... He saw the big picture in Ephesians 4.25. Paul wrote, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. A physical body that doesn't send and receive accurate messages to the brain is a body that does not work. It's a quadriplegic. This truth thing is about keeping the body functioning. We cannot work well as a group unless we're sending truth messages to each other. So there's a lot writing on truth-telling. People's eternal well-being, a unified church, and the church's ability to function effectively. So, why is you speaking the truth so hard for a lot of people? What gets in the way of doing this? I've got two, there's probably more than this, but let me throw out a couple. Number one, there's always the fear of rejection when you're the truth teller. And people are going to go, uh, yeah, I don't want to hear that. Um, who do you think you are? You know, um, We want to be accepted, we want to be liked, we want to be included. And telling the truth puts those things at risk. It just seems easier to get along with the crowd or to hide who we really are and what we really think. You know, I I found this. You know, there's two two groups of people that I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed this. Two groups of people that I've noticed who have the easiest time with telling the truth. Children, because they don't know any better. You know, they'll just spit it out. They're like the kid in the story of the emperor has no clothes. It, It was a kid, a child, which makes total sense. So children will tell it like it is. But the other one is old people. And you know what I think it is as I'm getting older? You just don't care as much. <laughs> you know, I really don't care what you think. I've been through this. I'm already retired. You can't fire me. Okay? You can be, I mean, you, you check it out. Who are the two group? Children and old people better at telling the truth. There's a certain freedom as you grow older, isn't there? It's kind of nice, I think. Um, So, there's that fear of rejection. We've got to learn how to deal with that. I'm going to talk about that in a second. How do you deal, as we need to be bold truth-tellers because we love people, how do we deal with that fear of rejection to get to that point? Okay. A second thing, I think, is that there's a fear of telling the truth in, in a damaging way. Well, what if I say it and it creates collateral damage? Like I didn't say it the right way or I didn't say it at the right time. And, you know, it hurt people. And then I have to go back and I have to clean up the mess. And I don't have to clean up the mess. And so maybe I just won't do it at all. I mean, I've, my problem has been... Sometimes I haven't said the thing I needed to say until I got angry enough. And I let my anger push me to tell the truth, and then you say it in anger, and then you create another problem, a more mess. And then I have to, I have to go back and I have to fix that. And that's, that's a problem. And I feel like I've been in, a, in a, you know, an experimental lab in my marriage trying to figure out how do I do this the right way? How do I share this thing that I need to share uh, with Donna? So, there's that fear of rejection. There's that fear of, man, I could really blow things up if I, say it, if I don't say it right. So those are legitimate, okay? But God's word and Jesus himself consistently urges to speak the truth. It's just the way of love. It's the way of the kingdom. He says other things like, wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's Proverbs 27, verse 6. True friends tell the truth even when it hurts. You know, I, frankly, uh, sometimes, you ever get like food caught on your chin or something? I mean, really, do you want to go through the rest of the day with that food sticking to your chin? Aren't you glad when somebody goes, like, you know, they, where, you know, let, please, and, and, like, thank you. I know that's hard to do that, but thank you because I'd be embarrassed if I walked through the next four hours with food stuck to my face. I real that's not a good look, you know? We need, we need those people who just, hey, let me help you with this, or, you know, it's faithful are the wounds of a good friend. A friend will say, hey, I know, I don't want you to to be embarrassed or get hurt, so let me tell you this thing that you need to hear. Also, Jesus commanded, commended Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a, a, an early disciple, and uh, he had a friend say, hey, you've got to come and meet Jesus of Nazareth. Man, he's amazing, the things that he's saying and doing. So Nathaniel comes, and he meets Jesus, and Jesus says to Nathanael in his greeting, before he knows Nathaniel, well, he knows him. He says, he truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That Jesus saw in Nathanael a man with no deceit in his heart. And he commended him for it. And Nathanael knew, Nathaniel knew he was that way. And he, that convinced him that, oh, I need to listen to Jesus. This, this guy knows me. But he was commended for it. That's a great quality to not be deceitful. Jesus would go on to say, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Sometimes I've wondered, what does that mean? I believe it means this. Do not manipulate manipulate each other with your sworn oaths. You know, they would say people would swear an oath to God. You know know how when you're a kid, I promise, I promise to do it, cross my eye. Wait. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Right? You're reinforcing your guarantee. I'm going to do this, and so you need to do what I'm promising. So what's happening in that interaction... When kids do that and when people say, I'm going to swear to the Almighty that these words are true, is you're backing that other person into a corner. They don't have as much of a choice because now they have to believe you because now you've sworn to God. That's manipulation. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, not in the kingdom. We don't manipulate each other. You have a right as an image bearer with a free will to make a choice about this. When you speak, speak directly to somebody. Say yes or no. We don't have to do all these jumping through hoops with our words. We should be enough of ups, upstanding people with, with no deceit like Nathaniel that we can just say, this is who I am. Well, listen, I said, yes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I don't need to stick a needle in my eye. I'm going to be there. And then, and then sometimes we just need to think before we come in. I don't know. Or, eh, no, I don't think so. But that's the way. Life goes so much smoother when we communicate that way when you remove manipulation from the picture it just enhances the body life and the family and then there of course is what jesus said about deceit and this is in john chapter 8 and this is why this this verse right here um i always when i was raising my kids when they were at home um You know, children do things, they break lights and they make messes and they scribble on walls with crayons and they do all that thing and then you, you, you ask them, did you do this? Or who did this? And we would tell them, listen, if you do something wrong, you break something, you just tell us the truth. Okay, we'll take care of it. If you lie about it, that's worse. And one of the reasons that that was so embedded in my heart is what Jesus said about the devil. This is John 8, verse 42. So he's, again, speaking to these religious leaders. And he says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So when I think of lying and deceit, I'm thinking, where does that come from? Oh, that's from the breath of hell. We need to take that seriously. No, we're going to be truth tellers. The truth will bring people together. Truth will deal with problems. You know, truth uh, will, will save people. Okay? So truthfulness is the way of Christ. It's the way of love. Because it leads to healing and life and healthy families and healthy churches. There are steps we can take to, to become truth-tellers. So let me lay out a few of these. If you ha- Oh, it's wor- is it working? Oh, that one's working. All right, all right, great. Um, here we go. Be vulnerable. Proverbs twenty four twenty six says, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It's refreshing to get an honest answer, even if you don't like it at first. That's a good thing. A kiss on the lips is a good thing. That's what I've heard. I've never done that before. I, no. <laughs> kidding. Okay. No, it's a good thing. A kiss on the lips is a good thing. And, so, and, and that's what an honest answer is like. We need to be vulnerable to be able to say, you know, this is who I am. And again, we're, we're going to get to, well, how can I be that if I'm scared if I put myself out there and people know who I really am and they make fun of me or they reject me in some way? You know, I went through a time in college. One of the first things God dealt with in my heart in my life was a deficiency of I was clo- a closed-off person. And people didn't know me. I'm not, I was not anything then like I am today. I was a completely different person. You go, well, how do you get from that to where you are today? First John 1, 7, that's how. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' the Son purifies us from every sin. It was the first part of that that God just went, bam. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I claim to be walking in the light. Did I have fellowship with other people? Not very good. I talk about the Rams. I talk about the Lakers. I talk about the weather. I talk about school. Did I talk about me? What what I was feeling? Did I talk about my faith? Not much. And God just used that verse to pry me open. And I started, you know what, I need to start sharing. I need to talk, first of all, to my family. My parents don't even know when I accepted Christ. And they're Christians, and I didn't tell them. What's wrong with me? Am I embarrassed about that? I actually turned off Dallas. Remember that great soap opera on Friday nights? That's what we were watching. And I told them, this is who I am. I want you to know what happened to me when I was 13 years old. There just needs to be that vulnerability in our lives. Um, it was opening myself up to my girlfriend, Donna, who's now my wife, sharing what I'd never shared with anyone else that helped me experience love from her. It was the vulnerability that brought us together. And it does it in other relationships, once you're willing to take that risk. Second thing is this, and I don't know if you have that. You do? Okay. So know that you're loved, um, Love this verse. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So she's going to get this video in just a second. This is really big. Knowing that you're loved by God empowers you to handle rejection if it comes from telling the truth. God is there to catch you. Okay, hold it. Can you pause it just a second? Or can it go? Okay. All right, just wait a second. So, uh, Uh, The reason what this video is. uh, Friday I was at a retreat. A pastor and spouse's retreat. And um, I wanted to do this thing about jumping off a pole. To try to touch an orange ball. And it's a little risky. I wanted to do it because I knew I'd be a little scared. And I would test my faith. And I'd have to pray. God help me do this. And so um, the reason that you can do this. Is because you're tethered. You have a safety harness on. There's no way I'm doing this without a safety harness on. So I've got... It's the equipment here, and i got a rope tied to my back. And I'm climbing up this pole that's 25 or 30 feet tall. And the goal is, like I said, you get to the top. It's about six inches in diameter. And you're somehow supposed to get, you have nothing to hold. You're just on top of it. You're supposed to get your legs up on top of that pole, jump, and hit that thing. Okay? I would never do this if I didn't have that harness attached to me. That would be stupid. I'd be in the hospital this morning if I did that. So here, just go ahead and let it roll. This is what happened. So I'm this is part is easy. This is easy. This is easy. Okay, you can see it's not really very big up there. And now I'm at the end of my f- grabs and foot rests. And I'm questioning is this gonna work? Can I get this leg on top of this pole? Maybe. Maybe if I'm gonna go, yes, okay. Okay. (laughs) But that's what we need to experience, you know. Yeah, look like a pinata. (laughs) Don't give anybody a stick, okay. (laughs) You know, um, that's what we need to experience. We need to have a sense of I'm tethered to something that's gonna catch me no matter what. If I take this risk to speak this truth, And things don't go the way they're supposed to. I'm tethered by the love of God. He's going to catch me. This is one of the most profound things that you can ever experience in your life. You know, and I don't know what. And I I do believe our sense of being loved and 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 held by God goes way back to our childhood. And some of you did not get that from your parents. You did not have a strong sense. I'm the beloved. I'm the apple of my daddy's eye. They delight in me. And you have a hard time knowing what that feels like. And so you go through life because you're not tethered to love. It's like you're always not sure if you are going to be loved. And if something falls apart, are you going to just splat? And I got to tell you, for myself, I I feel blessed because... Even with the problems in my family, I always felt for my dad that I was the apple of his eye. I always felt my dad delighted in me. I can still see his face, you know, when we're at the basketball tournament in Pasadena, this church basketball tournament, and we're beating a team that we have no business beating. They should be swiping us out because we played these guys during the regular season on the vars- at the varsity level and they smoked us. But on this day, With even a weaker team than the team that got smoked during the league. We have a weaker team. We're smoking them. We have five guys that are playing. And two little guys. And one water polo player. And two guys who know how to play basketball. And we're beating these big guys. It was unbelievable. And I can still see my dad in the huddle. Just like, I don't know how it's happening guys. But just keep doing it. Whatever you're doing. He's had a smile on his face. He's so happy. When I do things in music. He'd delight in it. He'd tell friends about me. He's so happy that I'm a pastor. You know, when you feel that, it it translates to, you know, God loves me. I, I just have a sense He cares about me. But if you don't have that experience, let me recommend that you marinate yourself in the truth of God's love. I really wouldn't put it on your refrigerator, put it on the mirror in your bathroom, that scripture. Romans 5, 6-8, through 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you have value? Yes. How do you know that? Because go to the foot of the cross. Who dies for junk? Nobody. That's where your value and your worth was established for all time at the foot of the cross. Go there. Visit there. Be there. Know that. How great is the Father's love for us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We're children of God. That's great to be lavished with that love. Sometimes we don't get that. How do we get that? Read Ephesians three verses sixteen or eight through eighteen or something. Pray that you may have power together with all the saints. So you need to be around saints and believers to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine being filled to all the measure of the fullness of God? How are you going to get that? By being in his love. And where is it? You're going to have to be with other believers to get it. But we need this. And this is what enables us to jump off the log. It enables us to take the risk that we need to take. Because we know he's going to catch us. He's going to catch us. He's going to catch you. Number three. Recognize the benefits. Benefits. Again, let me go back to uh, Ephesians four fifteen. Says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. So, by loving and speaking the truth in love, you and I become mature. We grow and become the person, the kind of people we were meant to be. You know, it prevents problems on down the road. And you don't have to cover for yourself when you're telling the truth. You know what the problem is with telling lies. You've got to tell another lie to cover the other lie. And you just have to keep telling lies. When you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to remember. You can just forget because you just live by the truth. It's so much easier on the soul. It really is. And the last thing that I would say about being a truth-telling person is just practice, okay? Just practice. Give yourself some space to fail. Um, this scripture, it talks. About, I love this scripture because it just says, you know what? Add to everything. You don't have to have it all mastered. Make every effort to add your faith, goodness, and da 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 da, and to mutual affection, love. Just keep adding. Keep adding. Make every effort. If you're not used to speaking the truth in love, it's going to take some time. Sometimes you're going to swing and miss. You know, that that video that I showed of me jumping off that log, that was the second time I did it. The first time I did it, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't know how it felt. I didn't know how to get my foot on top of that log. And so the first time I stood up on the top pegs and I jumped and I hit the orange ball. But the second time I said, I want to do better. I want to get on top of that log. And now that I've been up there once, I know what it feels like, I know what it looks like, and I think I know how I can adjust my feet to get on top of it. That's just practice. And it's the same thing with, with love. You know, like I said, I found my marriage a lot of times. Like, I'm not really good at this. I, I'm not naturally good at speaking the truth in love. And, and I flubbed up multiple times in speaking truthfully to my wife about heart issues And I'll I'll get through one episode. It doesn't go well. And I go, okay, what what did I do wrong? I can't control her, but I can control me. I can change me. I can't change my wife. So what do I need to change? Okay, next time. The next time comes. Okay, remember, Rick, this time. Don't be so accusing. Don't point the finger. Talk about how you feel. You know, change the way you approach her. it's like, Okay. And so, I, you know, I work, I talk to myself, I'm going to get a little better. I think I'm getting a little better. I, you know, I'd be very discouraged if God said, Rick, you're supposed to get it the first time? What's wrong with you? And slap me upside the head. What is wrong with you? What if God treated us like that? But what if we have a heart, just say, Lord, I want to do this right, I'm not very good at it, could you just help me? And then you get better. And you know what's so exciting when you can get better? I was really excited. I was just, I, I just was so thrilled that I jumped off that log. I got my foot on the top of the log. When I did that, I was like, I did it. I did it. I couldn't do it the first time, but I did it the second time. You know, and when you, when you get better in these things about graciously speaking truth into people's lives in these situations, it's like, yes, I'm growing up. God is gonna do something good in my family because when you bring his truth into family situations and into churches and into your business where you work, you're really helping that agency, that group, to get better and stronger. You know, just like Paul did. Think if he hadn't done that for the church, where the church would have been. But one man stood up and said, no, uh, something needs to be done. And he did it. And he helped protect the early church. So I want to pray. I Just bow your heads. We're all at different places in this. Maybe some of you are really good at this, and I praise God for you. And I want to encourage you to keep going but uh, I want to think if you're uh, having a hard time with being vulnerable and opening up your heart and telling people your truth what's going on inside of you. And I, I, want, I want to just pray for you. I want to encourage you to pray for yourself. That you're loved. That God's going to catch you. that It's good to be vulnerable because it's going to open you up to a greater sense of love. That your weakness is going to help somebody else with their weakness, to be honest. And together you're just going to make each other better. You invite God into that place to fix that place. And if you do not feel that you're loved today, you're not tethered to a rope There's nothing going to catch you if you step out and do something that God wants you to do. You're just going to splat on the ground. Father God, I pray that you come to those people and help them to experience the full dimension of your love for them. That they would know no matter what you're calling them to do, you are going to catch them. And they are not going to fall. Lord, help them to know that they're the apple of your eye. That you sing over them. That you you love them. That you created them to be different than anybody else who's ever been created. Lord, touch them. Deep inside. And if you're a person who just has a hard time recognizing the benefits, Lord, I... Pray that you'd open the eyes and help us to see how good it is to be truth tellers in a loving way. And God, you give us all the encouragement to keep practicing, to get better, to add to mutual affection and love, to grow in this, that our lives would be marked by love. And, And Lord, I pray for increased health. Um, increased vitality, increased healing in our families, in our marriages, with our children, Father, in our church, wherever we work, because we're there as your instruments of honesty. So bless you, Lord. Thank you that your way is the way of light, not the way of darkness. Shine your light wherever we go. And Lord, let your blessing be on these people, Let your face shine on them throughout this week. Let your favor be with them. Grace them to do everything you've called them to do this week. And we pray it all in Jesus' good name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Lord be with you.